you know, it's been something to, to learn and, and actually, you know, me screw up, I guess, uh, just not only by setup, but, but by, uh, you know, not gauging that deer's attitude as they're approaching the decoy or whether they're standing out there and being able to know how to communicate with that deer and when to communicate with that deer to, to show some aggression, uh, to kind of try to flip his mood. Uh, because there's nothing like seeing that posture buck come up to that that decoy and uh, and with an attitude. Larry McCoy, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Man, it's been a long time coming. I've, uh, I was excited when y'all reached out and asked me to be on here because uh, I'm a long time proud user <laughs> uh, you're talking about decoys right <laughs> i am talking about uh decoys well yeah well, i guess we could go go a lot of different ways with that so yeah <laughs> yep yeah, we, decoys in this we get, case we get nervous <laughs> when people say they're a long time user yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm gonna clar- clarify here. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah it's it's good to hear your voice larry i mean you know we usually see you at trade shows and 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 now you know with the with the coronavirus, uh, it makes me wonder if we're ever going to have trade shows again. I sure, I sure hope so. Which doesn't really matter since Dave hasn't been to a trade show for like five years. But well, there's people there, so <laughs> well, there's people there. I was going to say yeah. I don't recall seeing you at the NWTF when uh, on the last one, but we did do a lot of talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> I participated then. <laughs> yeah, see you're you know that there. it was great to it was great to see you and all all the guys there including um phil i really like phil he's oh. he's a great guy too oh yeah old philip he's uh yeah we we get along we actually have several hunt camps uh playing together and uh we got some uh we got some pretty good deer on camera right now that we're we're looking forward to going after uh and if they stick around of course you know it's still early deer are summering and uh, but I'll tell you, there's not a guy in the industry that I know that works any harder than Philip Vanderpool. Oh, you know, and he is <clears throat> you and you and him are a lot alike, and make a good make a good team along with everyone else. But uh, um, you know, in the, in the outdoor group, but you know, you guys are just so passionate. Like I, I try to, you know, I try to keep keep up my my passion and and stuff like that. And it's like, man, I talk to you guys, and you guys are just so excited. Like it, it, you know, you make it sound like you're like it's this coming season is going to be your first season ever or whatever. And it's, you know, you've been doing this your entire life, but you know, Philip is that, is that way. And you're that way too, Larry, just like, just absolutely just hard, hardcore way, way, way into it, which is super cool. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny growing up, I've always, you know, uh, hunted, uh, for say, and, and whether it be an archery hunting, goose hunting, you know, turkey hunting, squirrel hunting, it didn't matter. You know, I was always out in the woods. I know Philip was the same way. And, and literally it, it just became a way of life, uh, uh, for me particular. And, and I like to kind of think outside the box. I like the chess game when it comes to whitetail hunting and, and, uh, you know, by introducing the decoy out, out, out in there and, and figuring out, uh, what ways work best because every single scenario is a little bit different. And, uh, you know, you just got to keep learning as you go, because uh, if you're not, you're going to get outsmarted and a, a lot, which you'd grown to anyway, but uh, it's always, it makes it that much more pleasurable whenever you win the game. <laughs> so, 
Right on. Yeah, I mean that's that's really that's a cool perspective. I mean, like the the funnest part of anything is is you know the journey, and if you consider yourself to be at the at the end of it, you know the pinnacle where you can't learn anything more, then it's like it's just no fun anymore. Absolutely, <laughs> that's that's exactly right. And yeah, we go into every set, you know, uh, learning. I mean, I'll I'll go in and press the envelope when the wind's marginal. Uh, especially knowing that if, if I have a decoy and it's, it's the optimal time to go do that, which I'm learning uh, through, I guess, set after set, I've, I've grown to not be afraid to utilize that decoy, for instance, at the beginning of the season, uh, through the rut, and also at the late season, uh, because they, they are very vocal animals and sociable animals as well. They're very social. So uh, if you pay attention and watch our show a lot. I mean, we integrate a decoy of some sort, whether it be whether we're turkey hunting uh, or deer hunting quite frequently. Dep- you know, it doesn't matter if we're hunting in September or January. <laughs> oh, interesting. And real quick, Larry, um, did you grow up in Missouri? I grew up right here in Missouri. Uh, and certain times of year it's misery, but, but, uh, yeah, it is Missouri <laughs> right, right now, but, uh, but yeah, I did, I grew up here. I was born and raised and, uh, you know, hunted all over the state. Uh, and you know, it's definitely a, it's a great resource. Uh, you know, if somebody likes to hunt and fish and loves the outdoors for sure. And now with hosting respect the game, you're kind of all over most of the Midwest though. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do a lot of Midwest hunts. Like I said, we do early in the year. We'll do some Western stuff. Uh, but yeah, we're uh, uh, there's there's really nothing like hunting at home uh, either. You know, you put in all that work. Uh, obviously, because we're here, you know, whether it be planting food plots, prepping properties and stuff, it's fun to go out and see how how you know your work can evolve into into either being success uh, a success story or you know a journey as Dave put it, to be able to learn, Hey, how am I going, what am I, what do I have to do to improve, uh, this property, you know, for next year. And, uh, so yeah, it's every, everything. It's, I, I just love it all, you know, every piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Well, and what a great area to, to live and, and to hunt. I mean, you guys have outstanding deer, turkey and waterfowl hunting. And, um, there's, there's not a, probably not a whole lot of places in the States like that that have such a great opportunity at all three. Yeah, it is just really during the fall and through, uh, you know, early winter. Yeah. It's really kind of pick your flavor. Uh, what do you want to go after? Uh, because you know, if the migration's right and the, and the, the, the birds are here, the migrators are here, you're used to staying to go have a pretty good shoot. And, uh, but it's just like any, anything else, you know, you, you know, you put in the time, and, and scout and it's a, it's a matter of uh you know making it all come together i mean we all y'all have the lucky sets here and there but uh but the work going into pre- preparing uh to have a good hunt is is what it's all about to me anyway and I, that's a lot of the fun yeah, absolutely for sure you have good bass fishing too in missouri Oh yeah, I ain't afraid to rip a lip or two either. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we do. We at Lake of the Ozarks, Truman Lake. Uh, we've got uh, quite a few 
uh, lakes here in Missouri with some good bass fishing and uh, crappie and, and just a lot of the freshwater sport fish for sure. Uh, but and I've I, like I said in the spring and and summer, um, you know you got to quit turkey hunting at one o'clock and usually by that time I'm either uh, I'm usually on the water somewhere. Oh, right on. That sounds fun. So, um, what are your plans for this upcoming season? Whereabouts are you going? And and um, tell us a little bit on about what you've got on on your schedule. Yeah, this uh, this upcoming season, it's uh, it's going to be a good one. We're going to kick it off in first uh, of September in Nebraska, right there at the foot of the Sand Hills. And Nebraska is an interesting uh, resource. It's a cool state to hunt as well, just because there's uh, geography wise, it changes. You know, uh, you have super flat land when you get out east, and then it starts to get into these rolling hills that they call the sand hills, where it looks like literally nothing would live, and you get up on top of one of those things and it's amazing what you see pop out of the grass. <laughs> so, uh, it's, hmm. it's a really cool. So we're going to start out there in Nebraska, right there at the foot of the sand hills. It's an either or tag over the counter in, in Nebraska. So you can hunt a whitetail or a mule deer. And, uh, so yeah, we're going to go see, uh, we'll go spend the mornings, um, you know, spotting mule deer and, and seeing if there's uh, one to go after. And if, if not, we'll be hunting whitetails in the afternoons, most likely. And and will you be stand hunting at all or yeah or just yeah for whitetail in the in the evenings it just depends well it's we'll go out there and uh, we hunt with a, a buddy Corey Peterson at Hidden Valley Outfitters he's got a lot of land and we kind of go and and do our thing we'll throw cameras up and and we'll spend some time out there actually you know doing the recon uh, and seeing what deer are where you know spend we'll spend more time glassing and scouting than we probably will hunting. Uh, but that's, like I said before, you know, that's part of the fun and, uh, and it's, it's just an awesome trip out there. You know, I can, I can definitely relate to that. You know, I think I have the older I get, the, the more fun I have scouting and it's almost like, um, I have more fun now scouting, you know what I mean? And I definitely put more time into scouting than I actually do into the field by far. Yeah, and it's and it's funny whenever you know you spend that much time scouting and and you are if you are able to close the deal and 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 when it's it's almost like all right, well we got to start a new game now. Now we got to start back over, and it's it's just such a, a cool feeling, not only to to be successful because there's a lot of different elements to being successful and a lot of different I guess views. Some people it is the actual harvest of the animal and others it's the opportunity because when you put in that work and you can get yourself close enough for an archery shot you pretty much won the game it's up to you at that point there to execute uh shooting but you want you put yourself in the position to be successful uh so to me that's always a win and i appreciate all of it you know oh boy that's that's the tough part isn't it the the tricky part is is keeping your cool, man. I always, I always struggle with that one. Oh, oh, you gotta be kidding me, Brad. You're, you are, the, you are Mr. Uh, ice, ice in the veins. <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> show Whatever. 
I'll show you what Buck Fever looks like. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that's one of the things I've always been like. I, I've always been impressed with you, with you, Brad. Like being able to keep it together. And uh, for me, Larry, it's good to hear you say that. Like you've won the game if you got the animal really close. So I'm just still licking my wounds over last last year was just the probably the most probably the most you know upset I've ever been about missing a shot other than maybe one net colored net colored goose that I'm just really super mad mad about still I'm I'm just still pissed about it but anyways I'm but last year I had the, a blacktail buck a nice a nice big blacktail bucket and um as he was walking along and I was just I could not believe he was going to he was coming down the trail and was going to be in range and I was just like oh my gosh and and you know how it is like he's getting closer and I'm just think, thinking to myself oh like should I make pepperoni or, or jerky or, you know, like, I'm just like <laughs> and I, that I've just got him. And, uh, you know, like, like you say, you, you, you got to make the shot. You got, you, you can't, you can't just completely, um, figure that it's in the bag at that point. But, you know, he, um, as he was walking along, I grunted for him to stop and he didn't stop. And that just completely rattled me. And I had a, I had a forked horn buck under my tree stand, so I think that's why he didn't stop because he had already, you know, looked over that forked horn, and so then when I grunted, he just probably thought it was that forked horn, so he just wasn't wasn't interested. He just kept walking, and it just rattled me like crazy. And I tried to lead him a little bit, and I actually did end up leading him perfect, but I just shot just a little too high, and he he you know he ducked the string just a little bit, and I just shot right over his back. And I even, I ended up shooting a bigger buck later that year, like in the last couple of days of the season. And I'm still, all I can remember about last season is not the one that I got, but the one that I missed, yeah. you know? <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. Cause I just get, I just get buck fever so bad. I just get super rattled and I'm, I'm just a really jumpy person. You know, I just hate that. Well, that's the thing. You're, you're, you're right. Everybody's different. But if somebody tells you that they don't get it to some, I mean, I'm here to tell you, I've, I'm fortunate enough to do this a lot. And, and I'll admit, I get it. It just depends on the situation that day. Just like there's some days I can go out and shoot my bow and I'm like, man, this feels really, really good. I'm holding good. Everything's good. And other days, you know, I feel like I'm all over the place. I'm drive by and that, that thing, you know, that pin gets yeah. close, bam, I'm touching it off, <laughs> you know, and it's just a really a matter of being able to control it. And that's what I've, I try to work on personally, just uh, being able to control the situation and break it down in my head, step by step, kind of what I need to do. But in situations like you just described, David, it's very, it can be very tough because you're expecting that, that animal to stop and, he doesn't. So your, your mind's telling you, I got to get rid of it. I got to, I got to make something happen. And, yeah. you know, and it, it just happened. It happens to everybody, but that's part of it. You know, that that's, that's part of it. You missed that buck and you was able to capitalize later in the year. So, I mean, there's some, uh, you just got to take those, those situations I feel like, and, and kind of learn from try to break them back down in your head and, and keep getting after it. Yeah. Yeah. In that, in that spot on that trail, that was the first time a buck, uh, any buck showed itself, showed himself in the daytime that year. And then after I missed him, there was not a single other buck that showed himself in the daytime. So that was, I just happened to be in the stand, you know, when it, when it happened. And it's just like, that's the thing with blacktails. They don't come out in the, 
the in the daytime they're not super super wily or smart i mean compared to a whitetail there's there's no no comparison like whitetails are way more sensitive to you know human human pressure and encroachment and scent and everything but with blacktails it's just they're just so nocturnal and there's so few of them and so then when one finally shows up you just put so much pressure on yourself because you're like well this is this is gonna be my only chance for the whole year and i gotta gotta make it count you know uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a thing, man. It is, and there there is. I mean, people put a lot of that pressure on themselves, you know. Except for Brad, you know, because he's got those ice, <laughs> ice cold veins, you know. He's. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm still wondering why Dave has this impression of me as being, you know, so calm and cool. Well, I've seen yeah. you. I'm. I've seen you making some super, super hard shots on net collared geese, like at really weird angles, and um, and then you know when it comes to turkeys and stuff like that, you know, I've seen you just like a big tom come in, and you know you're caught in a tough situation with no blind, and just get the bow drawn back and hold steady and and everything, and like and with me, you know, I'm just a wreck. <laughs> so I, I I'm actually glad to hear. You say that, Brad, that 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 you you know get get excited and stuff like that. But actually, I do remember the story of your elk hunt where I think a bull came in and you like turned to position yourself or something and spooked spooked it off or whatever or something like that. But I don't know if that would really count as a mistake related to you know buck fever or not. Um, no, that one wasn't really. And to be honest with you, um, when it comes to neck collars, I I am pretty, I'm, I'm able to compose myself pretty well, I would say, but, but when it comes to turkey hunting, for whatever reason, when they're coming in, you know, um, bow or shotgun, but especially with a bow and especially if I'm not in a ground blind, oh man, I am just, I have a really hard time keeping it together. And what's funny is for me, the thing that worries me the most is that the bird's going to, going to see me. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and even when I'm in a blind. Yeah, isn't that crazy how your your mind's telling you like you feel like you're wide out in the open and and it almost makes it makes you ru- want to rush through the process for through every process because you're like as soon as you make a move, it's like, oh, he's going to take off. He's going to take off. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. He goes. He's going to go. He's going to go. I got to get drawn. I got to get drawn. And yeah, it's, I'm, you know, and that, like I said, I think that's natural. It happens and we're all human. And but it's, you know, but that's part of it. You know, I mean, that adrenaline rush that you get uh, from being there is, is really what it's all about. Well, there's nothing like it. Yeah. yeah you, you know, I. <laughs> I actually, like in a ground blind, I, I kind of usually have kind of a comforting feeling, especially if I'm far back in the blind and if it's, sun, you know, sunshiny, where I really feel like I'm I'm hidden and stuff like that. But I think I get more freaked out in a tree stand because in a tree stand, you can see the animal so well, you're just in the wide open and you're just trying to tell yourself that, well, you know, just with their horizontal pupils, they just can't see, you know, can't see very well you know, up, upward, but it still just freaks me out. Just, uh, you know, just thinking that you're, they're not that far away and there's, you're not inside anything, you know, you're not inside a, a little hidey hole, you know? Yep. Yep. And like I said, it, it, it really is. I mean, it's something probably a little bit different for, for anybody. And it's a, same with me. If I'm hunting on the ground without a blind, uh, this year, for instance, the spring for a turkey, we, we worked really hard, 
opening uh, opening day, and we were really running and gunning. Um, and we heard a bird gobble. I mean, from it was a long ways out to where to the point to where I was like, "Was that really a gobble?" Or uh, I don't know. So we just inched a little closer, and finally we were like, "Yep, that's that was a gobble." And, and what we thought was a couple hundred yards ended up being a lot, lot further than that. <laughs> and uh, and we closed the distance, and it was. When I hit the call, we we had actually got lucky and didn't get busted by the bird, and uh, he ended up answering, and we were a lot closer than I would like. So we literally just had to come tuck in the weeds and and got the decoys out and and uh, set up and and was able to get him in get him into twelve yards, and and it was one of those where I was telling myself the whole time, okay, don't rush it, don't rush it, just say he's right there, he's. Oh, never mind. He's whooping the crap out of the decoy. Okay, uh, I got a second, you know. And then, <laughs> and then, and then, and then, yeah. then finally, uh, yeah. It's, but you really had to tell yourself because I could, you know. There's been too many times where I have rushed it and and been like, I wasn't even close. <laughs> you know, it's like poof, just sailed. Yeah. Away. But uh, but no, that's yeah. That's what's all about, man. Is is getting that bub that that heart of beating and and putting yourself in that position to be successful and, you know, to, to make sure you execute because it teaches you so much really and everything, how to handle that, that type of pressure and, and, you know, being there because everybody predicts the outcome of holding up those antlers and, or packing that bird out. But the part that, that uh, a lot of times you don't uh, think of is, executing <laughs> you know to make sure that you can you can see what you envisioned earlier that day or the night before <laughs> yeah. yeah and nothing nothing at least makes me feel more stupid than an absolute give me shot that i take for granted you know like <laughs> oh, like yeah. i got a i got a 10 yard shot at a bird in full strut i get drawn on him I get my sight pin on him, no problem, and then somehow manage to, you know, miss him. Yeah. It's like how how in the world did you just do that? Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it it'll, it'll definitely. And then you'll those like Dave said earlier, you know, with that miss, those are the ones you will remember. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like forever. Whenever you think of turkey hunting, it's like, oh yeah. And then there's that one. You know, the one with that was missing a tail fan uh, feather because that's where my arrow hit <laughs> you know, on the tip of it or something, you know. Well, I think part of it is I've become so, um, you know, reliant on on decoys that a lot of times I get follow up shots, fortunately, you know, because uh, uh, turkeys a lot of time will come in and they'll be so engaged in the decoy. Mm-hmm. If they're convinced that it's real. You know, a lot of times you can skip an arrow off their back and they won't think anything of it. I've even hit birds mm-hmm. like through the breast, just thump them at eight yards. And, you know, they'll jump back. And I don't know whether they think that the decoy just hit them or, you know, what the deal is. But they go right, right back into strutter. They come back with a vengeance and start really kicking the crap out of the decoy. Um but yeah. um yeah I, i'm fortunate i'm fortunate <clears throat> that i've had a lot of follow-up opportunities yeah. <laughs> and, well, you know you always look so good in the picture with the 
you know, the bird fanned out and nobody needs to know that that took two or three shots, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> pose, you just pose with your, um, your bow and you leave your empty quiver off to the side. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That, and that's the one thing that, too, I've, from the turkey side of things, because uh, we, sh- you know, on the show, we, we do, uh, we shoot their heads off with a solid decat broadhead. And so the bird is usually close. So the one really close. And the one thing that, you know, uh, we've learned or I've learned over the years is really trying to gauge that bird's mannerism, uh, that bird's mood, and being able to change that. Because that right there will tell you a lot of when to move, when to draw, uh, you know, and kind of how to react. Because every bird, you know, I've had, I've seen birds, some birds come in a little bit more timid and then they finally relax. And then I don't know what snaps in them. The decoy maybe turned a little bit. There's, it showed a little bit more aggression. And all of a sudden they snap and they get, you know, pissed off and, and jump on it. And then, then you've got the ability to kind of move around because they're really, like you said, they're fixed on that decoy, and and you can you can move uh, then because I've done it several times and and but then you got the mother nervous ones that just kind of sit out there at twenty yards, looking at the decoy, just waiting for it to, to turn and and never really give up. So you got to be a little bit more cautious. Yep. Yeah, the, the irony of that is like and when they come in really slow trying to assess the situation or whatever it is, like that's when you have a good shot. But then that's the hardest time to get your bow drawn. And then once they start getting really active with the decoy, that's when it's hard to get a get a good shot, hard to get them to hold still. But it's the time that you can get your get your bow drawn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to find the hard to find the balance there, you know. Absolutely. And on the whitetail side of things, it's it, you know, it's similar, but but because you can usually, you know, you're like if you're hunting from a tree or a ground blind, you know, setting up a decoy, you know, your setup is, is vitally important. Uh, not as I mean, the positioning is important, but being making sure that that decoy is visible. Uh, it's like kind of like when you turn a corner and there's someone standing right there, you're like, whoa, hey, you know, deer is the same way. Mm-hmm. You can you'll yeah. change that deer's mannerism in a hurry if if you call to that deer rattle that deer up you've got that decoy out there where they can't actually see it to let them actually respond i guess uh emotionally meaning okay there's a buck in the area they come out they see him wait a second i don't know that deer and you'll see that ear one ear lay back or they'll stand there and look at him and uh it's you know it's been something to to learn and and actually you know, me screw up, I guess, uh, just not only by setup, but, but by, uh, you know, not gauging that deer's attitude as they're approaching the decoy or whether they're standing out there and being able to know how to communicate with that deer and when to communicate with that deer to, to show some aggression, uh, to try to flip his mood. Uh, because there's nothing like seeing that posture and buck come up to that, that decoy and, uh, and with an attitude, uh, that'll get your heart racing. <laughs> and Larry, what's your ideal range and direction that you place your decoy? I personally, I like, uh, you know, I, depending on the setup, uh, a lot of people like to sit up right up on the edge of the field. I like if there's the opportunity set up, 
you know, on the, you know, just to where the canopies, you're just right over the canopy. Gives you a little bit of extra uh, cover, I guess, uh, underneath where you can shoot over. And I'll set the decoy a lot of times out, you know, 25 to 30 yards in most cases, sometimes closer, depending on, like I said, just depending on the, the particular setup. And I face the decoy a lot of times if you're watching videos or see deer posturing, they'll they'll turn their head a certain direction with their nose down and they'll posture with their neck turned kind of away from the deer going to them. So what I, if I'm thinking that the deer is going to go, you know, come in from a certain way, I'll face that decoy as such, uh, you know, that way, that way, when they see that they'll usually try to circle that decoy. And you can certainly tell if it is a, if this deer is super aggressive like what I mean by that is they're like, he's really wanting to fight, fight because that deer will always, he'll, he'll either approach it and circle the deer and come until it gets to his head or the ones that will, sh you know, kind of, Hey, I'm going to show off for this guy and, and strut up to about 10 yards. Then he'll kind of, you'll see him kind of lay back down and they'll circle around and they'll, they'll go to the back of the decoy just to kind of smell what deer that is. Hey, do I really want to mess with you or, I haven't decided yet, <laughs> you know. Uh, so that's kind of what I mean by the mannerism of the of the deer, and I kind of like to face the decoy, not a lot of times not facing me directly, but just kind of angled towards me. So that gives and give the deer room to get all the way around the decoy, because a lot of times they're going to circle the decoy, and if you don't give them enough room. A lot of times they'll get about halfway around, they'll stop, and then they'll, they may bounce out to about 10, 12 yards away from it and stop and look. And in most cases, I found they could stop depending on your setup broadside, but they're usually facing a kind of really hard quartered away and looking back at you, you know. And, and are you trying to get a shot at the deer on the swing between you and the decoy then? That's the most optimal time. Yeah, uh, yeah because usually... You know, it's, a, it's usually, you know, 20 yards close to the deer's broadside. And most of the time, like I said before, their their head is kind of turned back uh, away. So when it's like that, their their whole body's kind of twisted. So it really opens up that vitals quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so it makes your target a little bit larger. Do you try to stop them at that point? Um, or, do you, or do you just take a walking shot? Most of the time, they're not moving fast enough and they're close enough, depending on the distance. Because, uh, because honestly, you've got to really, if they're that affixed to a decoy, you've got to really, I mean, make some noise to stop them. Yeah. And, yep. and I mean, you'll hear me say, hey, hey, or whatever, and try to stop them. But if they're just kind of inching, I'll go ahead and, and, and shoot them before I stop them. And most of the time, almost, if you hit them good, they they're so affixed and their adrenaline so high at that point they'll bounce out away from the decoy a lot of times and stop and not even know they're hit and be like man i didn't even see that deer hit me <laughs> you know it's like yeah. you know and then stop and then then finally they get the old shaky legs and and do the tuna so. <laughs> wow that's yeah that's a good feeling yeah it's uh it's there's nothing like it it's fun and and i, I mentioned earlier too about decoy in early season uh, one thing going out west and uh, seeing how deer kind of react and respond 
even though, like, say, the, the DSD decoy, it's a posture and decoy, then you're still posturing and communicating and socializing that time of year. You know, that's usually the time of year when the velvet's coming off, the hormones are changing. They're, they're going to start expanding their territory, so you can still uh, call deer in then. You can still definitely decoy deer in, and I've, we've used it many times uh, in those scenarios because we, I set up there one evening, and we were glassing, just glassing deer, uh, scouting, and I watched this buck come out to the field. He was the first deer out into the alfalfa field, and literally every other buck in that in that came out in that field walked right out to him, posturing, mm. smelled. They they nosed around a little bit. They never really got aggressive. Maybe just tapped their horns together a little bit, but they went out to see who that was. You know, who is that? You know, out there and. And so I was like, man, I bet you a decoy work. So the first set, I mean, we sit out there and literally, I mean, a deer came out probably 400 yards away and was just feeding. And I finally looked up and seen that other deer and literally just on a string, just walked real calm all the way over, all the way over, got to about 50 yards, started to bristle up a little bit and just kind of worked its way right in. And there's no doubt in my mind that without that decoy there, that deer would not have traveled that far to get to there. Hmm. That's really interesting. That That's like Wyoming, Montana area. Yep. yep. Up Montana. And, and I've done it uh, in Missouri as well, because, and then the Midwest, you know, typically what happens in the Midwest early season is Missouri opens September 15th and, majority of the deer have lost their velvet. There's still a few that have their velvet maybe, but the, uh, typically a lot of the soybeans fields that people are hunting because the deer are usually hitting those that time of year. And you have, they'll start to turn yellow and start to turn, change colors. And when they do that, the deer will gravitate off that food source. You'll start seeing fewer and fewer deer in those fields in the evenings. And but what's happening there usually is if you've got uh, oak trees of any sort, white oaks, red oaks, black oaks, the, the deer, a lot of times, if they're, if you have oak trees there, they're going to be gravitating and using it as a food source because those are usually starting to drop at that time. Uh, and the deer will spread out, and usually they'll be hitting those acorns. And if you don't, then there's another food source that they're usually hitting. Most likely it's going to be you know, a clover or some type of green. And I'll, I will mm. utilize, I'll utilize a decoy in those situations as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes so much sense because like, if you think about it during the rut, you know, there's a constant movement and exchange like bucks moving into an area, moving out, out of an area. And then early like that, I, I would imagine most of those deer kind of you know, they're local, they kind of know, all know each other and they're sort of in the process of establishing a hierarchy. And then all of a sudden here's this, here's this brand new buck and it's not, you know, it's something they wouldn't expect, uh, you know, when it's not, not during, during the rut or pre-rut, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, and I've had really, really good luck with it. The other thing that I do a lot, you know, a lot of people associate calling too, uh, with the decoy, which is, which is great. I will call the deer early in the year as well but what as you get into those pre-rut phases and you're you're hunting over a decoy and you're calling 
you just have to know when, kind of when to call, uh, I guess. And I've, trust me, I've learned the, the hard way and, and ran a lot of deer off. And people a lot of times associate that with the decoy spooking the deer. Just because a deer comes out and his ears are pegged forward and maybe stomps a couple times doesn't mean that he, it's on high alert because of that decoy. He's wanting, a lot of times they're wanting that decoy to turn around and look at them. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to communicate a lot of times with that deer because a lot of times they'll walk and when they spin around, hit them whenever they turn with with a call to get their attention. And I do something that's a, it's kind of redneckish, I guess. I, I talk about it in our seminars and we've got a video that that supports it. But I take a, just a simple Ziploc bag and I fill it full of leaves. And a lot of times with that deer starts to lose interest when you call I'll take that bag and have it with me and I'll just squeeze it. And, and then just be quiet and you'll see them really get a fixate on it. And then when they start to turn again, hit them with a call. And a lot of, a lot of times you can change that deer's attitude by associating another sound with it. Hmm. That's so. interesting. Um, yep. And then with your calling, is is ninety percent of it just with a with a grunt grunt call? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah, with a grunt call, and also, you know, I, I will use uh, de- depending on the time of year uh, a bleat call as well. Um, mm-hmm. Scenario: This is a scenario that uh, you know a lot of listeners that are in the Midwest will probably relate to, especially early in the year. We were all with trail cameras being so popular now, people running trail cameras and knowing what big deer or what deer they have on the property. You go in the opening when the there's still a lot of foliage on the trees and you you see some deer legs. All you can see is legs walking up on the hill because you can't see that well because there's so many leaves on the tree. What I used to do is I used to just let that deer walk by and then I'd always wonder. I wonder if that was that buck that I had pictures of. Well, so I started utilizing a bleak call early or kind of early season through there uh, a lot as well. Not only just to try to call deer in, but to really to get to, because they're very curious animals. And if you, like I said before, they're very social. Uh, I've, you know, when there's a fawn, when there's a deer bedded down, uh, you can watch a deer walk right by you, walk, walk right over there. You can barely even see that deer bedded down the weeds, and that deer will walk right over to it and smell it almost all the time. And the fawns are just now, they're still with their mamas, and a lot of times you'll see does early season go out there. You'll see fawns go out to a field first, uh, and that deer that walked by where you only saw legs, a lot of time, if you just give them a soft bleat to get them to stop, you'll see that deer kind of circle down, try to, to try to see where it is, see if it's a, see if it's a fawn, see if it's a doe, not necessarily going to try to call them to the base of the tree. The only objective there is to see what deer it is. That way you know what to do next. You can, or you can decide what to do next. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a forkhorn that you want to let walk. Then you can just, you know, let him go on about his business. Or if it is that big buck, you can see what you can do to try to, you know, to try to get him to close the distance to present an opportunity. Mm. And Larry, are you using any scent control on your uh, deer decoy? 
I uh, I actually I do. I spray I spray that decoy down. Uh, I personally use lethal. Uh, it's a scent elimination spray. I spray it down a lot, and then we do. There is some scent uh, pure white tail mix. It's called. A lot of people will put a, a dominant buck. I usually put. I've been putting a, a product called Bedded Up on it, and literally, it's a. Uh, it just smells like a deer, so it's not really a a dominant like buck piss you know where you put that on there it's super strong uh but it just smells like a deer and really that that's all it is is just a mat to make that decoy smell like a deer uh and i've had really really good luck with that uh don't necessarily have to put it all over the deer but just put it around the deer and then and uh make sure that you're you know you're spraying your boots and everything uh anywhere that you've actually handled the deer uh with that that spray and and literally i mean we've we've had some really really good luck with that i mean we've had you know the does uh just come out and feed next to it you know uh or whatever so yep right on how about ozone yes uh i'm uh over the years you know people often wonder uh uh you know does ozone work and and so on i'm i'm a firm believer it does and if you've watched our show, we've done a lot of, uh, used the Ozonics unit quite a bit. And I've got, we got some sample video that will show you that it works. Meaning we've had deer, 15, 20 deer, 20 yards in front of us in a, in a alfalfa field. And me with a wind checker blowing right at them. Wow. And and nothing and then turn around and turn it off and within 15 seconds they're blowing and and everything look like you know it gets chaotic deer running everywhere uh, wow so i would say maybe it's because you just smell really good but i guess yeah. not <laughs> i doubt that i doubt that but but the thing is, is there, there is a method to using it properly too and you've got to use it properly it's got to be pointed the right direction you got to know the wind direction and you got to chase the wind uh and what I mean by that is, you know, the wind can fluctuate, you know, it can come out of the west and then switch to the north. You got to make sure that you know when that happens and then you can turn it and make sure that that's facing the appropriate way. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, you'd have to um yeah, you'd have to you'd have to move it so that it, <clears throat> so that you're between it and the and the wind direction, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. And right. how it works is your scent molecules, it it pretty much, uh, the ozone's like a pack of wolves, for say. You've got one little bitty, uh, one baby elk that comes from your body and is headed out that way, and that pack of wolves just attacks it and pushes it down. That's pretty much what it, it, it does. I mean, your scent's blowing this way. It's intercepted by the ozone uh, molecules, and they attack. There's, I mean, there's... I can't remember the exact number, but way more ozone molecules than there are your scent molecule. So they overpower it and literally attack it. And, and that's, a, that's, that's what dissipates your scent. Now, I'm not going to say, hey, it's on a, you're going to have some instances where you have that old nanny doe, because honestly, that's, that's the, the key deer that you want to fool is that old nanny doe. Uh, Cause she's, she's usually the one that gets you every time. Uh, but, you're going to get that to where 
you may see a deer go by and she'll be really working hard because she smells something, but she can't tell what it is. And another thing that I think it does is I think it really messes with their, I guess, perception of distance. I've been, you know, oh. how many times have you been on a farm and you've been at the gate and there's been deer out in the field and you've been messing around up there at the gate. The deer don't even act, know you're there or whatever, act like you're there. They, they look up and see you over there. They don't feel threatened at all. And they stay there. Well, that's because they're, there's a safe distance between that and they're, they're not associating that danger. And I think that ozone has the property too, that kind of confuses that sense to where they don't know how far away the threat is. Does that make nice. sense? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. That, so uh, I've heard a lot of whitetail hunters talk about like hot scent and cold scent. And so maybe that would make, make your hot scent, not, not, uh, not as hot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> well, and that, I can see a big advantage of that too. Um, you know, like usually with whitetail hunting, you know, it seems like you can't sit in a stand more than, you know, two days, more than two days before it's just done. It's just ruined. But, um, you know, and you just don't want much of your scent, you know, to just sp spread around anywhere, uh, even, you know, even, you know, even at nighttime and stuff like that. So uh, it seems like that could allow you to hunt in a stand a few, you know, an extra day or two and also not not spread as much of your scent around the woods, you know, and just keep the deer calm, more calm, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the objective is to, to to hunt that animal without them knowing you're there, you know. And so you do all everything that take all the precautions to make sure that you, you know, that you're trying to do stuff, I guess, in your mind, right. But most likely, the re you know, the reason why, if you're after that big buck, the reason why he's big is most likely because he's smart. And, uh, and so you've got to be able to outsmart him, whether that means you've got to change your entry to, to get to where you're hunting or whatever, to make sure that it is. Because where I've seen that really, really effective as well, and this is for a lot of people that have smaller pieces of property to hunt, which is very common, is they'll go into the season and they're seeing all kinds of deer and through the rut, seeing all kinds of deer and they see their deer numbers start to decrease. They're not seeing there as much movement, not near as many deer. Uh, and a lot of it is because they've, it has contaminated the area and stuff. And, and where those onyx, I feel like it's helped quite a bit. It's, it's helped you be able to capitalize and maximize the opportunities uh, that, that you have, you know, uh, by not, giving up your location yeah right on do you have a do you have a brand or a model that you that you like the new <laughs> ozonics uh orion unit is really really nice uh, it, it has like a boost mode uh so if the wind is like howling blowing hard kind of you can and you've got deer that's threatening to get downwind of you you can hit that boost mode on that uh and hyper boost and it'll it'll throw more zone more ozone out uh, for those uh, times, it also has a dry wash cycle. They sell a dry wash bag, so you can put your clothes in there, uh, and it'll it doesn't just dump ozone on your clothes and and ruin them. It it basically just throws little spurts of ozone out for a a, a certain period of time, so it doesn't damage your garments. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a 
maybe a better system than I mean, I've never been a big believer in in, car, in carbon suits and reactivating carbon in the dryer and all that stuff. But I, I shouldn't say, you know, because I'm not, you know, I'm probably not qualified to say, but that does sound like a good system too to with the ozone with your clothes. I mean, that's something that kind of makes sense, you know. Yeah, you know, it, it's just kind of, you know, trying it over, it, you know, a lot of different things over the years. It's been a highly effective system for me. Uh, and using a, like I said, using a decoy does help quite a bit too with that because believe it or not, it's just like a, just like the deer or like the turkeys we talked about when they get a fixate on it, you can, it does allow you to get away with a little bit more as well. The deer do drop their guard because they're focused on that other, that decoy. Well, I really, I really like your, um, your philosophy of, of using the call in conjunction with the decoy. And in other words, you know, when you do get those situ- situations where a deer comes around the corner and, you know, you're not in a wide open spot and comes around the corner and there's a decoy, at least it's already expecting. I mean, if it heard you call, mm-hmm. it's already expecting a deer to be there. That makes a lot of sense. Yep, absolutely. And, and yeah, so it's, and I've, I've just grown to absolutely love, uh, like I said, to learn how these deer respond uh, when they're seeing the decoy, because you hear, you know, I'm sure consumer shows and, and talking to consumers about, you know, they've had bad experience with decoys on the, on the market and, and stuff because it, they spooked off when they hit entered the field and, and everything. Well, yeah. And, and there's a lot of cases that that can happen for sure. Uh, the realism of the DSD though, what happens is, and that's just your added benefit because it looks like a real deer to now, you can manipulate it as a real deer, manipulate that deer uh, to making it think that it really is a real deer uh, and settle them down. Because I've had deer come out and start blowing right off the bat. And when it turns around to run and stomp, a lot of times I'll blow back at it. I'll give it a... Oh, yeah. And they'll turn around and, and look like, what the, what'd you just say? <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and then the next thing you know, you know that they just kind of settle down. Ah, that's a, yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's cool. What, what would you think about a doe decoy? And, and I, I know that sometimes does, you know, does themselves kind of, kind of blow up on a doe decoy and, and start blowing and, and getting all, you know, territorial and stuff like that. But do you think, you think there would be a good, uh, a good use for a doe decoy and like what, what pose and all that? Absolutely. I, I do. I, I think there's, there's a lot of scenarios a doe decoy would work really, really well. Uh, a doe decoy, because, you know, ten, tendly in a lot of places around the edges of the field, grasses get tall. Uh, during the rut, you see bucks tending does out there, and most of the time, you know, they're, if they're standing up, they're kind of in, not a, a kind of hunkered, but more a little bit more submissive. And, and some a lot of times that they're tending them, they'll be laying down. Uh, what would be what I think would be really effective is a one where you could detach the legs to make it a better decoy, and then have one uh, as a feeding decoy, with its head down, kind of more in, a, in more of a feeding position because it's more of a relaxed uh, pose. Hmm. And the bedded decoy a lot because just like I was saying earlier, a bedded a bedded deer is one of the best decoys you can have around. Uh, 
you know, whether he's bedded in front of you or, or up most of the time, if you see a deer bedded from the stand and you're saying you, and there's other deer there, you'll see other deer go. The first thing to do is go right up the other deer. <laughs> and Larry, a bedded doe or a buck or does it bedded matter? Doe. Bedded doe. Okay. <laughs> and then would you use that in conjunction with the, with the buck decoy to make it look like a, a like a smaller buck that's locked onto a doe? Absolutely. Absolutely, so, I would. Uh, so what happens, like, I mean, I sort of assume, but I've never really, you know, I've really, never really known or heard this, but what happens? Does that mean a bigger buck would see that and they he would actually come in and just sort of take over the doe, ch- chase the younger buck off? They would absolutely try if you're, if, if, depending on the, the time of year, but if they're in that phase where they call lockdown phase and what that means is they've got, the buck's got a doe off somewhere locked down. And usually he usually has her pinned down. He'll stand over her while she's bedded. Uh, And you will literally see a lot of different, I mean, about every buck on the property, small bucks or whatever within that vicinity. And they'll come out in the field and that buck will do everything he can to fight him off that doe, Uh, Mm. run him off. uh, They'll snort wheeze. They'll, you know, they'll do to do that. So yeah, it can definitely uh, impose a lot of aggression towards a lot of different bucks for sure. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I was thinking for blacktail hunting, a doe, a doe would be great. I mean, just because there's, there's not that many bucks around. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's not like the, the deer pop, the deer densities aren't, aren't anything like in whitetail country. And I thought, well, you know, if, if a buck saw a doe, um, it would probably be like, you know, that's exactly what I'm looking for, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, but there's, you know, scenarios that I have in my head right now uh, would be to, like I was saying, the edge of fields are tall. You you can have the buck, buck decoy out in that field with the doe where you could just see the front half of her out into that field there to where that a deer would have to swing around to really challenge that buck to get to where she they could smell that doe, whether it's in, she's an asterisk or coming in asterisk, uh, and it could present a lot of opportunity, especially for them deer, that deer that's standing out there 60, 70 yards, you know, just the fixated and what I call the chess game, you know, they go right back and forth. They're just sitting there staring and then they, they'll turn around and you hit them with a call or something and, and they turn around again, stare. And that's where I use that bag of leaves or what I call shaker. I'll, I'll, take a limb off the ground a dead limb and a lot of times and i'll just i'll and tie it to a rope that i have up in the tree with me and and make some noise on the ground itself to make it sound like there's deer on the ground uh that direction as well yeah that's that's smart so yeah um, I'm, I'm itching i'm like i said with all with the covid uh stuff uh you know and uh the stuff of the factory, uh, you know, going, it's, everything's been going, uh, well there, but I'm, I'm itching to, to really get down the road and, and get after it. Uh, we've, you know, um, both people are, are getting out and enjoying the outdoors and, and, and saying, which is great. Uh, it's great. And we got a lot of new, new archers, new hunters, uh, coming on. We're, we've been getting a lot of messages on the respect the game Facebook page as it pertains to, to hunting and uh so yeah it's it's always comforting to see that for sure yeah it seems like this is this is like the year for um the the new hunter 
You know, it seems like there's there's a lot of people. I I don't know if it's due to the lockdown. I imagine it probably is, but um, it it sure seems like the outdoor industry is doing well right now. You know, and and I have friends that work in outdoor retail, and I know gun sales have been just through the roof. But also, they say that there's a lot of a, a lot of people who are are getting into hunting for the first time ever. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, we're seeing the same thing, uh, from the factory. We've, we actually have a, uh, campaign going on right now, uh, at elite archery. Uh, we have the, a campaign that's the shootability challenge. Uh, it actually has never went away, but we really fired it back up. And, you know, a lot of the, the people on social media, you know, if they share your experience going into the dealer and shooting a bow and, and, uh, on your your social media page and use hashtag shootability challenge we're going to be giving away weekly prizes uh, as it pertains to that because we, we want to encourage people to go hey go take the shootability challenge we're not saying hey go buy an elite all we're saying is if you're in the market for a new go go give elite a shot make it part of the conversation uh, what matters the most is getting out there and enjoying the, the outdoors and getting involved uh, so uh, that that's really what the whole campaign's about, and it's it's really kicked off and and it's doing well. Uh, so we're super super excited about that. Uh, that's cool, yeah. And that's 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 uh, turned a lot of people on onto elite, like just that idea of of you know sh- shooting all these bows that are that were a little bit uh, you know had a weird draw cycle or 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 kind of had a lot of vibration or whatever and then you go you go shoot an elite and all you got to do is just i mean that's a great marketing thing because all you got to do is just shoot one one time and you're like whoa this is a lot a lot smoother and a lot more accurate yeah that's and we kind of uh coined the term shootability uh and what that is is really being comfortable shooting uh whether it be a smooth the smooth draw cycle high let off dwell zone solid back wall uh but more so being confident we talked about earlier in this podcast about buck fever and how you know everybody gets it you know to some capacity and and that well that's not going to go away but the one thing that you should be confident in is your equipment and i know that if i'm confident i'm going to shoot better if i'm drawing a bow back that i feel like it's going to, it's trying to pull out of my hands, you know, when I'm a full draw. Uh, but when you can get comfortable and aim and be comfortable, it's going to be a lot more enjoyable experience and you're going to have more confidence in your equipment because you're going to shoot better. You know, another thing that's huge in that respect is making sure that the bow fits you so Mm -hmm. that, so that it is at the, at the draw, the draw length is just right, you know, so that, so that you are, you are comfortable. I, I see some of these guys with too short a bow and the bow wants to jump forward, you know, or too long a bow. And it's, it's like they're, they're holding, you know, you need to hold some, you need to hold some, some weight, you know, and there needs to be not, not a delay, you know, when, from the time you, you activate the release to, to when the arrow goes, because that's bad for accuracy too, but getting, getting that, that draw length just perfect, you know, and when getting your form just right, is a makes a big difference too. Absolutely. And, and that's one reason part of that to the new cam system that we came out with on the cure, uh, and the result bows, they, they are adjusted in quarter inch increments. So you can really 
uh, dial in your draw length uh, to exact to what's comfortable for you uh, without settling. Wow. Uh, so it's a it's a pretty pretty efficient system uh, to really because every archer shoots maybe a little bit different. You know, people talk about great form. Uh, well, you know, I'll use baseball as a reference. You know, if a hitter stepped in the batter's box and had perfect form, every hitter had perfect form, they'd all look the same, right? Uh, they really do what's comfortable to them, and, and they can perform at that level. And, and it's no different uh, than that. A lot of people, like you said, well, if they shoot short, because they don't know what it feels like to actually shoot correct, you know, shoot it correctly at the correct draw length. And so we made it really, really easy for, to make the bow pick you as a shooter uh, versus you picking the bow. Uh, if somebody shoots up with a lot of heel pressure, a lot of their heel, their hands in the grip really hard, you know, you can literally tune this, tune that right out and, and you can be comfortable shooting and the bow's going to be able to tune for you. Hmm. Wow, super cool. So yeah, so and with the outdoor group, that's what all, what all brands does that encompass? And uh, yeah, good question. We have Elite Archery, which we talked about. We have Scott Archery, and it's Scott Archery. <clears throat> the releases they've been around for oh uh, forty years. Uh, it's it's well known. I mean, most archers out there, if they've they've shot releases in the past, a lot of them have, have probably shot a Scott at some point in time. Um, we also have Slick Trick Broadheads, CBE Sights, uh, Solid Broadheads, Winner's Choice Bowstrings. That's another key feature to Elite. Uh, it's a you know they come with Winner's Choice Winner's Choice Bowstrings on them, so it's a quality string uh, right from the factory. And uh, so yeah, and then we also have Dual Game Calls, uh, which is you know elk, deer. Uh, you know, we have a wide, wide variety of calls there that are highly effective as well. Right on. And that winner's choice strings, weren't they founded right here in Oregon? Yes, they were. Uh, yeah. uh, they sure were. And, and they moved, it was probably, I'm going to say six years ago uh, to the facility in New York, uh, or the factory of the outdoor groups actually in a uh, suburb of Rochester, New York. So it's upstate New York, and uh, everything's right there underneath one roof. Right on. And then, um, what is what's the latest and greatest from Elite Archery? Uh, like I said, the cure uh, the cure is is really taken off uh, uh, and grown some legs uh, just because of the adjustability, the new set technology. And SET technology stands for uh, Simplified Exact Tuning. And what that is, is it allows you to uh, pivot the limb pocket uh, to adjust your tune, uh, to adjust can lean. And uh, it's magnificent for uh, uh, broadhead tuning for guys that are shooting fixed blade broadheads. Uh, we've all experienced broadheads that, you know, you get... You go out, you shoot, and they're not flying like your field tips. Uh, you can literally make those adjustments right there. Uh, simple, self-explanatory. You got a locking screw, and it tells you if you're getting a tail right or tail left, which way to turn. Turn that, and you can literally watch your field tips and broadheads come right together. 
You're going to put the bow shops out of business. No, it's, it's, it's <laughs> you're going to put the bow shops out of business. Yeah, that's, it does make it easy for the archer, but people are, uh, you know, to, to tune. Uh, but, but, but it is, it's very, very, the, actually the dealer love it because they can, they can tune bows really fast and they know that they're 100% yeah. right when they leave the shop. Sure. And then if, uh, if, if somebody didn't want a, you know, a hard back, hard back wall or a, or a, you know, a high let off bow, does, does elite have a bow for, for that person? Absolutely. The new bows, you can shoot, uh, you can choose whether you want a limb stop or a cable stop. That limb stop is going to get you that really solid back wall. Uh, or you can shoot a cable stop and the cable stop is going to come back and stop on the cable. And a lot of guys that are shooting the thumb button releases and stuff now will uh, like a cable stop because that allows them to that release to fire because they can pull against it pretty good and have just a little bit of cushion there to get the release to fire. Sure. Uh, so, and then it, you can also adjust the holding weight. So, uh, uh, right there at the cam, just loosen the screw, slide it out one notch. You can adjust the holding holding weight as well. Wow, that that would be good too for a resistance activated release. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, yep. uh, hmm. Yeah. I, I think I'm about due for a new elite. Oh, <laughs> cure. I got the cure to that problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm still shooting my, my answer. And the reason why is because it's, it just, it just works so well. You know, I just, uh, I'm trying to, to not be one of those people that just has to have the latest and greatest every every year. But at the same time, you know, you kind of you kind of do want to stay up with with the times and stuff. But the my answer is just you know it's just still still so smooth and and I just like it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's a you know the answer was one of my favorite bows too uh, coming up. But I can tell you, uh, I'm the same way. I like to you know once I get in and, and really. I, I have a hard time uh, changing. I shoot a lot of bows actually, you know, working for the company, but there's, you know, it's just kind of like an, when you, when there's one that's just like an extension to your body, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to set that one down. And these new bows with the cure, um, it's, they're, they're something, just the technology in them. Uh, you can customize the feel, what you really want into, and, you know, to out of performance of the rig, whether you want a little bit more holding we- uh, weight or if you want, you know, like I said, a limb stop, cable stop, you can adjust uh, the set technology for, for tuning purposes. I mean, there's just so much that you can do with the bow to make it fit you as a shooter. Nice. <clears throat> well, Sounds like we should give one of those away. What do you think, Brad? <laughs> yeah. That's a... Yeah, like like maybe do a giveaway with a cure bow and a posturing buck decoy, huh? Uh, uh, sounds like, like a, a good idea to me. And, a, <laughs> and a, how about a Zeneca scent blind and a Camp Right UFO camp light? Well, that'd be one that, heck of a package. Wouldn't <laughs> that be cool? I mean, man, <laughs> if we could put something together like that. Yeah, it would. Huh. That, that would be something. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I bet you we would probably get some some people pretty involved in that. Want to be involved in that because that is, like I said, that is one heck of a package. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Okay, well, in case anyone's wondering, that is actually a real thing. Um, that is actually happening. So, 
No, I think, yeah, I know that, I know that you can go on our, on the DSD Instagram or Facebook page and, and find, uh, find links to how to enter that. And I'm sure in other places too, but we'll, uh, we'll add to that, figure it out. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It, you can also, we're going to share it too on our, on our, uh, respective game page, elite archery, uh, as well. So yeah, you'll be seeing that come across all the social media outlets. It's going to be all over there. So, uh, you know, yeah, feel free to click the link and, and enter to win. Just follow the directions. You can get entered to win. That's one heck of a package. Like I said, yeah, for sure. That, yeah, that those are the kind of things I never I never win, but some somebody probably will. Um, speaking of that, how how does um, how does someone watch Respect the Game and and when is it on and where where? Well, you can watch Respect the Game on the Sportsman's Channel. Uh, it's on Tuesday nights at nine thirty, uh, Mondays during the day as well. There's there's airtimes throughout the whole week, uh, but also uh, Hunt Channel digital platform. We have we have been really really good about uh, getting uh, keeping our YouTube page updated as well. So uh, uh, you can go to the Respect the Game, subscribe uh, to the Respect the Game TV YouTube page as well. And uh, those are a lot of past episodes. Some of the scenarios we talked about on there are already on there. And there's we're going to continue to just keep being active on there. And you know, feel free to ask us questions uh, via our social media, uh, Instagram. Because uh, I'm, uh, we're, we will answer the questions. I, I love communicating with people, talking hunting, and uh, you know, trying to learn from people, uh, to learn from everybody else as well. Because uh, it's important that we all can can share our knowledge and help each other be successful. Absolutely. Yep. Good. Good attitude, Larry. And just for clarification, uh, yes, Scott has already put the uh, the giveaway package on the DSD uh, social media platform, Instagram and, and Facebook. And I don't know anything about Twitter. I'm still kind of learning social media, um, but uh, it is there. And it's a, it is a hell of a package, a cure, a cure bow, a Zenic blind, uh, posturing buck decoy and a UFO light. Cool. Well, well, we sure appreciate your, your time and your insight. And it was great to catch up with you, Larry. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys reaching out and, and having me on. It's been a great time. And, and, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to this fall and, and seeing some, some photos from y'all. Uh, hopefully if all this, uh, clears up we might have to chase some neck collars sometime soon i was just throwing that out there but uh you know Heck maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah you don't have to twist my arm very hard for that one <laughs> <laughs>